0: This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Ciroclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast eliminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast is underwritten by Ciroclad. The Ciroclad Rainscreen Fiber Cement Siding System, a proven track record of performance in Japan for nearly 40 years. Zero chemicals, triple coated, and factory finished color layering. The ceramic and photocatalytic coat provides 365 days self-cleaning and a 20-year fade limited warranty. This high-performance siding system serves as an honored innovation with parent company Panasonic and Kubota. For more information, please visit siraclad.com. For our guest today, we're uh, we're really honored and excited to welcome Eric Naslin, FAIA, a fellow and principal at Studio E Architects in San Diego, California. Studio E Architects is a uh, twenty-six collaborative led by principals Eric Naslin, John Sheehan, Matilda. I hope I'm saying that correctly, and Maxine Ward. Based in San Diego, the firm works throughout the southwestern United States and has built a varied body of work ranging from private residence to affordable housing, mixed-use, civic, and urban planning projects. The firm has received numerous design awards, including three National American Institute of Architects Honor Awards. You can find them on the web at studioearchitects.com. That's Architects. Dot com. Hello, Eric. Welcome Hello. to the show. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me,
0: Eric. We like to start our show off with a, a quote that kind of captures the essence of our honored guest. Um, love to hear what your uh, your your thoughts are. What do you uh, what resonates with you?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You should ask me for a quote. I I kind of keep a uh, a list of when somebody says something that resonates for me. I try and keep it in a list. And so I went back and looked at a bunch of the things that i had I had written down. And the one that kind of stuck to me uh, that kind of fits this podcast is uh, a quote by Aryeh Framer. He's an Israeli chemist, surprisingly, uh, the choice for an architect. But his quote is, "I'd rather live with a good question than a bad answer." so that that kind of speaks to, a lot of what we are constantly doing here, this idea of mainly interested in our questions rather than rushing to a response that may or may not get to the underlying premise or the underlying issues. So we're always investigating and trying to figure out how to get to those good answers.
0: Well, you mentioned investigating. of uh... I notice in your work, it's very. Uh, I say it's got. You have great range. A lot of folks, in my experience, have they're very good at specific mm-hmm. styles or processes. But yours is is has got range. Is that by design?
1: Well, I I would say that is definitely something of desire. Okay. Um, when we started the company thirty six years ago, um, we got really interested in doing affordable. Uh, housing. And we were one of the first firms to do tax credit financed housing in San Diego County. And um, we won a lot of awards for that initial work. And a funny thing happened along the way was that uh, people said, wow, you know, you made something when I didn't expect there to be something. And so, you know, that's really great. You made something artful out of that. And by the way, I I have I don't have much and I'd sure like to see what you could do with what I got. And, uh, <laughs> and then we ended up getting to do lots of other different and interesting things as a result. So we, we, we kind of were so interested in the idea of problem solving and finding a kind of artful resolution that those things transcend any particular project type. So we've had the good fortune to do lots of different things.
0: That makes something out of nothing. I noticed that was a theme, at least on your, on your website. That is a, um... That's not an easy task mm-hmm. a- in any realm. Mm-hmm. Is there a formal process that you go through to take something from nothing to to not just imagine but to reimagine as well?
1: yeah, I, I would say that one of the things that we trained ourselves to do really early on was to um, just embrace whatever ingredients we were handed. And to ask ourselves the kind of classic Lou Kahn question, you know, his whole famous thing was brick, what do you want to be? And, uh, or something, something like that, you know, an arch. Um, but, uh, but in our case it was wood framing, what can you be? And so we kind of embraced right away the idea that we could, uh, we could do, um, something interesting with that. And we, and we learned a lot, uh, early in our career about how, like merchant builders and production housing people would do things to kind of maximize their, um, their output using uh kind of clever ways to frame things and so on, but they weren't producing things that we thought were amazing or interesting or contributing to a better, better society, culture, world, certainly not on a sustainable level. So we kind of overlaid all that with, um, with those values and ask ourselves what can we do with it and you know and one thing led to another that
0: question what can you be mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's useful in every facet of life what do you think
1: oh i agree um i'm a big proponent of um, making making the most of whatever you have i i am not a person who will pine for or wish that I had something else. I am, um, I am really keen to kind of make the most of what we have. I mean, one of the quotes that I almost put into this thing was a William Morris quote about, you know, the famous Arts and Crafts guy who talked about this idea that the 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 true art is taking what you have and making something artful out of it. So um, that one always resonated for me as well.
0: How does that affect the culture? at studio e as well.
1: Well, um we we named ourselves Studio E Architects. That was, by the way that was our first address. we were at 711 8th Avenue, Studio E. <laughs> and uh so we we formed the company. We didn't want to be just names on the door. We envisioned a, a kind of atelier of uh you know people who could contribute and um and so hence the name was born and we have always tried to cultivate this idea of of people being able to contribute uh, from wherever they are. Um, you know, certainly a lot of the stuff over the years has come from the principals' desks, but we do always uh, seek seek the wisdom of the people we work with.
0: In seeking that wisdom, how often are there breakthroughs collectively? Yeah well you know
1: it, it's interesting it, it it happens quite frequently and um and we're in this process right now uh where we're actually kind of reexamining our design process in the office and it's been kind of my desire that we find more ways to engage more people in this process um and so we're working on it it's a constant process, uh constant evolution of course and um but but the idea is that you you hire talented people who you enjoy working with and you know you want to you want to draw from the from the smartest minds in the room always so that's the goal i can't say that we're we're there yet all the way but we are we are trying to evolve ourselves to that
0: so is would it be a a stretch to say there are people that you meet that are studio a architect uh, Types or would work and fit into your the culture that you have there, just based on your experience mm-hmm. and vision? yeah, yeah, for sure we you know we
1: interview a lot of people over the years, um, and there are definitely folks who, when they come here, we can just tell that they will they will fit into the culture that we have here and uh, will be contributors. Um, we don't always get those people. Um, mm. you know, really talented people have sometimes choices when they're looking for work you know and uh but we try our best to uh, cultivate that and hire those and i love our team i mean i think we have a really great group
0: how about your client or clientele is there a common thread or threads that connect them all even if they have a, a diverse marketplace or even a persona
1: well, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh uh one of the things that kind of ties a lot of our clients together is they're mission driven. Um Yeah, you know, we work for a lot of nonprofits or people who work in the non uh, in the affordable housing arena. And, and those people are, you know, definitely interested in the idea of making dignified uh, places for people to thrive. And um and so that, that piece is really there. We do a lot of work for universities as well and, and schools. And that kind of work is really centered around the notion of community, places of learning, places of sharing, and that sort of thing. So oftentimes we're, we're dealing with, um, with uh, people who have a specific mission or intended outcome. And that resonates well with ours as well. It touch into that,
0: that, I like what you said here people to thrive. Mm-hmm yeah
1: well you know we we were really interested early on in our career about um, understanding how to make um, like I said dignified places for everyone and um, we were really inspired very early on by the the work of Irving Gill who was a, a turn of the century turn of the 20th century architect here in San Diego kind of a proto-modern person and he, he did a lot of work over the years um, that he referred to as working men's housing. Hmm. And um, and he always made these things that were kind of modest but had this kind of dignity to them, and always came together in a way that made a community. And he was he was a he was brilliant at understanding the thresholds between community space and private space and how to make that work in a way um that that makes life, you know, kind of lively and um. And to make communities thrive, and so we we were inspired by that early on, and we've been endeavoring to kind of make places where people will um, people will be happy, feel safe, feel um, that they can uh, get ahead, they can do well. Um, yeah, and, and in the affordable housing world, you're talking about a group of people who oftentimes uh, aren't making a lot of money, but you know, if we don't have places for them to be supported. Um, Things in society just don't go well. Um, we really depend on on this population across the board for kind of society to kind of function and do its thing. So we want to make sure that people have celebrated and dignified places to live.
0: Excellent. This is a fascinating show. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. We're talking today with Eric Naslin fellow american institute of architects and principal at studio e architects in san diego california for more information feel free to visit their website at studioearchitects.com studioearchitects.com eric what's uh, changed in your experience in architecture in the last say two three years or how has it evolved as well? Yeah,
1: um, I, I, I think the one of the ways that things have changed is that the tools that we work with are getting more and more sophisticated. Um, you know, we started this company; we were hand drawing all our drawings, you know, it's the old-fashioned way. And I often tell my staff that I'm one of the dinosaurs in the office because <laughs> I can't, I can't use all the softwares that we rely on now. But it's really interesting the way you can kind of render nearly photorealistic things very early on. And I think that those tools are really, they're helpful to us as designers, absolutely, because they allow us to put ourselves into the places we imagine and fine-tune them or discard them and move on to the next thing once we see them. And they're absolutely essential to communicating with your clients and with communities as to what it is that the place will be like once it's built, so those those tools are are really advancing all the time, and those have been that's been significant. So, the other thing that I would say relative to your question is that in California, where we practice, um, you know, we're in the midst of a um, a kind of statewide housing crisis that's been going on for a number of years here, which which ties back to probably decades worth of underproduction in housing for many many years. It was, you know, there's a variety of reasons why that underproduction happened, but it wasn't keeping up with the pace. And the re- result, of course, is that, you know classic supply and demand things. Is the cost of housing has skyrocketed, and it's getting out of reach for for people. So there's been a lot of things happening at the state, and certainly in San Diego where we work. There's a lot of things happening locally to cultivate and make um, more housing production. And so that's been um, that's been a pretty interesting. Uh, evolution of things. We don't we don't have to fight so much with community planning groups. Well, fight's kind of a strong word. We don't have to negotiate with community planning groups as much anymore because a lot of this stuff is being implemented by right, uh, meaning that you don't ha- you can just design and go to the building department and carry on. So that's been that's a big change.
0: Uh, you talking about the, uh, how about the difference between hand drawn and the tactile the feel. -hmm. And how that's different for you? Yeah,
1: I I am still in love with the idea of picking up a pencil and drawing on real paper, um, for sure. And um, and it's gotten to the point where, because I'm still good at it, I think a lot of people who are younger than me kind of almost see it like it's some sort of dark magic or something. Like it's uh, (laughs) uh, something that that uh, um, is a bygone. technique although a lot of our staff actually some of them are really really talented with a pen and paper um but uh there are other really good tools actually out there my ipad i have a tremendous um piece where i can draw right on it with a tablet pen and and the rest of it so there's there's lots of really cool things that are kind of bridging that digital versus um, uh, analog divide
0: the analog divide divide i call it Working with digital and analog, not just in technology on our laptops or or desktops, but actually in life. How is that to to merge the two for you?
1: Well, um, yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, being able to, like I said, to be able to quickly model up and place yourself in a digital place in in the, you know, designed world that you make allows you to kind of see things quickly. I mean, we used to make things uh hand models you know and then put your eye down there and get close to it and kind of pretend that you were in it so on now you can get in there and you can spin around and look at it and walk your way through it and and that's a pretty significant advancement um and it really aids in the mix in the, you know the making of places that are more tuned to those experiences when you can see it when it's nothing more than data
0: data how do you leverage data without giving away secret sauce, your secret sauce the data from clients, mm-hmm. prospects, and just what's a, the built environment?
1: Well, I don't know that we have anything that would be called proprietary data per se. I mean, outside of the drawings that we we make for our, our clients um, to help them build the buildings that we build for them. Um, but you know, there is always this kind of best practice. Uh, thing that goes on in the industry is to figure out really what are are the best ways that people are doing things and we're constantly you know asking those questions amongst ourselves and and sharing it with staff and we have a we have a time to share every Thursday afternoon where we download to each other some technique or to communicate lessons learned and that sort of thing so we're we're always um, trying to figure it out for sure. I have a feeling that as as this world evolves and as AI becomes more of a presence in our practice, that'll become a bigger piece of it.
0: How about community? Can you share what community, how it matters, and your your role in it that you believe?
1: Well, I mean, I I guess I sort of see uh, an architecture role as uh, we we have a kind of. Um, unwritten client, always, and that is the people we build around and near. Um, and I feel strongly that our role is to kind of fit that piece of the puzzle back into the city um and to do it in a way that contributes. Um, I, mean, I like to say that if you as as an architect, you're manipulating the world as it is out there in a way, and hopefully when you're done, it's better for it. So um, i'm I'm always keen on that. And I used to be, I'm no longer this role, but I was the chair of the San Diego Planning Commission for a long time. So I, you know, I heard an awful lot of testimony from communities, et cetera, would come to testify on projects and so on. And I used to be the chair of my community planning group. So I I have a lot of of time spent, you know, kind of engaged, you know, day to day in, in the world where people are affected by changes in the built environment. So I'm sensitive to it.
0: What's it like to know that you, you, you not just the chairman, but you can actually see the physical dwellings and structures of what you help influence in the city of San Diego?
1: Yeah, that and that gets that thing that oftentimes um, you, as a trained architect, or me as a trained architect, can can kind of imagine what that place will be like and how it will be better and improved. And then sometimes, and when you're dealing with communities they see change and changes kind of sometimes can be frightening. Um, So, you know, being able to kind of envision and talk about what will happen and to share with them what that place will be and show them places in the world that had, um, have similar experiences uh, is a good way to kind of help them understand that sometimes these things are for the better. Um, But, but it, it it sometimes you can prevail in that story, and sometimes you can't.
0: <laughs> obviously, you've definitely prevailed probably more than not. Is that true or
1: well, I would say that we're we're pretty good at um, at making sure that we're we we try really hard to listen to people in advance of setting uh, I was going to say pen to paper, but I'm going to have to say, you know, cursor to desktop um and i and i think uh i think that listening is really valuable um you have to you have to really kind of understand the lay of the land i believe in order to have a, have an effect so yeah we we try really hard to to listen very carefully and we try to implement wisely once we've learned
0: man i'm going to go back to that make something out of nothing yeah how does that feel as a person and a professional to know that you have the capacity and you and your team ha- have the capacity to do that?
1: Well, it's empowering. Um, I mean, I, I, we the metaphor we use around here is alchemy. Okay. You know, the idea that, you know, an alchemist in theory in the Middle Ages took straw and turned it into gold or, you know, mm-hmm. base materials and turned it into gold. I mean, a lo- we used to, sometimes say that that kind of stick framing was our base materials. And the goal here was to make it something way better as a consequence. And so there are way better uh, for sure. When you, when you make a place that people cherish and want to live in, that's, that's making gold out of it. So yeah, it's really empowering. And what's even more empowering is when you hear stories from people afterwards about what they like about living in the places you made for them. That's really empowering.
0: You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. Our public service announcement for today's show is with the, for the Bethlehem Food Pantry in El Cajon. You can visit them at the website of foodpantries.org. Bethlehem House. Again, that's foodpantries.org. Bethlehem House. We're talking today with Eric Nasland, fellow of the American Institute of Architects and uh, principal at Studio E Architects in San Diego, California. You can find them on the web at studioarchitects.com. That's studioearchitects.com com again that's studioearchitects.com eric uh i want to touch back on this again this that it is really important is the dignified places for everyone can you share with it share with uh, your audience today what that really what that means to you personally as well not not just professionally
1: yeah well i mean i think that um one of the things that uh I've learned in life is the value of community, the value of relationships you build with people that you have come to trust and believe in, your neighbors, you know, uh, are are some of those people. Um, And I think that really rich, um, the richness in life comes when you have uh, experiences with a broader spectrum of people. And so one of the things that we have, concentrated on a lot in that because of my experiences and our experiences collectively is is how we make community in the places we build. So I, I I have the richness of that in my own life and I want to make sure that the people that we build for have an opportunity for the same. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's exciting to watch it happen and to make places for it to come to
0: life. If you go back 36 years when you began, till today uh, this very moment did you envision studio e being what it is talk about that be what can you be
1: yeah well that's you know that's interesting i think when we started out we we were um we didn't have this big game plan i mean i, I we didn't know for instance that one day we would be doing charter schools and we we got connected to that through our other work and it's become a key piece of what we do. We never envisioned that as a piece of our, our work. Um, Like I mentioned early on, we did have a real interest in doing, you know, housing uh, for people uh, who would traditionally not be um, served by the architectural community. Um, So that was, that was definitely a desire right from the get go. And we still do, you know, a good hunk of our work is still tax credit financed affordable mm. housing up and down the state of California. Um, so that, that piece is good. We're, we're actually now 28 people. Mm. And I will tell you Thank that you. I never thought that uh, we'd be 28 people. We kept saying, you know, we're going to be no bigger than 12. And that was going to be, we're going to be no bigger than 18, you know, because <laughs> at some point you have to decide because it becomes a, there's a lot of management to making 28 people kind of hold hands and work together towards the end goal, you know, but I, you know, and I think that who knows where we'll go as as opportunities present themselves, but I want to make sure that no matter how big we get, I'm always have a chance to be kind of engaged in the making of of buildings rather than just the managing of everyone else doing the same.
0: Eric, what would you like to share on your show today that uh, we may not have talked about or touched on?
1: Um, well, one thing that maybe is is very directly related is that we got we got really quite interested in the idea of making what's now referred to as sustainable architecture really early in. And some of that had to do with the fact that we were designing for people who couldn't afford um, necessarily a high energy bill. Um, so if you design if you don't design, design in a manner that is going to be not smart with the resources, somebody's going to pay for that. And oftentimes you have people who don't have a ton of money to compensate for those decisions. So we, we started really early on with the idea that we wanted to be kind to people's pocketbooks and to the planet simultaneously. And we designed a project out in the desert when we were really early on. It ended up winning a national AIA honor award. Um, and we investigated how to do thermal chimneys and into deep shading and doing all the kinds of things that were right for the desert climate. And that was a fantastic experience. The research, the implementation and the quality of life there is rich because of it. So yeah, and that's been a key piece of our work ever since.
0: Excellent. Eric, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you very much. Thank you you've been listening to the architecture and innovation podcast our guest today has been eric naslin fellow of the american institute of architects and principal at studio e architects in san diego california studio e architects is a 28 now collaborative led by principals eric naslin john sheehan and matilda how would you pronounce matilda bielk. bielk matilda bielk and maxine ward Again, based in San Diego, California, the firm works throughout the southwestern United States. For more information, feel free to visit their website at studioearchitects.com. That's studioearchitects.com. Again, you've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast brought to you by Sierra Clad. Our executive producer and host is yours truly, Tom Dior, and our chief audio engineer is Eris Chikopoulos. We look forward to you joining us. Again next time. Thank you for listening. Sericlad is a high-performance fiber cement siding system in one size with triple coat technology and 365 days of self-cleaning, along with a 20-year fade limited warranty. Sericlad also offers hundreds of design options. For more information, feel free to visit sericlad.com.